that this is some of the, the first beer that I've had probably since I drank here with you last time. Same, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. It's the nice thing with that Coven Kratom. It's just a good alternative. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a good place to start. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, I was still in these lounge chairs. I know how you feel. <laughs> Actually killed his best friend. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I was like, I'm talking about a lizard, man. Tricked some guys into blowing him, I guess. And then, like, the whole thing sounds like a bad time. Right. There it is. Right. Welcome back to the next episode of Discoursers. Where you ain't shit. You ain't shit. That's or the other, shite. That's the other podcast. Oh. The Oops. Ain't Shite Show. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That one I want to say, like, I want to, I think I want to put on this little sign right here, uh, talk to me. Yeah. You know, for the yeah, discoursers yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back. Uh, today I got uh, Dr. Paul Dees. He doesn't like me calling him a doctor, but he is a doctor. I yep. stayed in a Holiday Inn once, so I feel like a real doctor. There you go. You know that commercial? Mm-hmm. You know? <clears throat> Better than a Red Roof Inn. <laughs> Because that's where you get your your uh, your crack from. I have to say to many Red Roof Inns, many La Quintas, the bat, the, I have I, Motel Sixes, and the uh, during my days of being um, uh, wild and carefree and um, the user of illicit substances, and mm-hmm. you know, um, I'd still stay one. I don't. I, I'm not astonished by that kind of stuff. I don't really care as long as it's, as long as it's clean. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm all for that. Yeah, I've, I've actually known heroin users that use like pretty pure, not like totally pure because that's mm-hmm. fucking really expensive shit. Yeah. But pretty pure heroin and they actually, keep, their life is just still going fine. They wake up, they go to work, they come home, they do a little heroin, they pass out for a while. They wake up in the morning and do the same thing, maybe do a little more on the weekends. Uh, you know, rare. The functional users are, are, yeah, they're rare, but there are people, I know a couple of lawyers in Birmingham who, who use crystal meth you know daily mm-hmm. you know and and they're they they meet their obligations you know and um so i you know when i talk to people about drug use i'm like there's no inherent moral good or bad about that choice right, right. the only thing that's bad about it is if it begins to destroy your life in terms of because you're not hurting anybody but yourself yep and with anything if it begins to hurt you then it's something you might want to reevaluate but sometimes right. you unless it's like behind the wheel of a car or something like that which nobody right. recommends anyway no matter what you're on I, you know i was never um no matter what it was i tried a lot of things growing up um i say growing up being 48 um right speak one day um and and i was always real smart about it i never was one of these that wanted to get out and travel a lot on them you know i mean if mm. we were going to um, like if I were doing mushrooms or even when we did ecstasy and stuff, we were always somewhere, uh, where we could be for, you know, if we needed to be there 24 hours mm-hmm. or longer so that, um, you know, we weren't out putting other people in danger because we were, you know, because right. hence the hotel or the motel. Exactly. Actually, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Paul, Paul is a composer. No, nope. no. Nope. Sorry. Nope. Uh, give me a second. No, go ahead. No, nope. nope. conductor. You, I'll, 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 yeah, I'll, I'll, I will. There we go. You can't see this, but it's a baton, and yeah. Uh, yeah so I'm a conductor. Uh, that's my people ask me, "What's your instrument?" I'm like the ensemble. Like, what? Right. Because um, my undergrad was in voice and uh, master's degrees vo- vocal pedagogy and conducting, but conducting is mine. Yeah, I teach voice, but. Um, 
conducting is my instrument. That, by the way, that was a throwback to the previous podcast why I said that because I kept saying conductor oh. or composer, composer, composer okay. over and over again for I, the last one. But uh, yeah. I'm dense, you know. No, 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 it's fine. But yeah. I am dense. Things, yeah. you know, Dozen will catch me in, in the bar saying something, and he's like, "Paul." I'm like, well, you know, I'm gullible. I'm naive. I, I take things kind of as, you know, right. um, I try to be funny and my jokes land flat because I don't have a good sense of timing. You know? mm. And uh, that's okay. Though. I, mean, I wouldn't say good sense of timing. I think that everybody has their own timing. And what people consider a good sense of timing from as an amateur stand-up comedian and a person who just fucking talks for a little, that's all I do, just talk. Fucking that... It's whether or not the masses consider the pattern of your timing acceptable or not. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah like yeah. no one's right or wrong. It's just sort of a what's mass accepted mm -hmm. or even semi-mass accepted. Right. Yeah. Who's the real dry comedian? Um, Stephen Wright was one. See, I, you're going to I'm thinking more pop culture because um, I don't even know who mm. Stephen Wright is. I have to profess my ignorance there. He's um, a legendary comedian. Legendary, very deadpan. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. It's dry, funny you were comedian. talking about comedians because I was thinking about Steve Martin the other day. Okay. So this morning. Yeah. And Lily Tomlin and his um, the movie um, All of Me. I haven't seen it. All of Me. So um, Lily Tomlin is this heiress and she's she's wealthy and she's getting ready to die and she goes to this Indian guru who's gonna gonna take her soul into the bowl back into the bowl. That's what he says. You know, we're gonna put your soul in the bowl and we're gonna put it in another body. Right. And Steve Martin is this clumsy as he buffoon who in the middle of this. Uh, she's dying, comes in and and disrupts it, and the bowl falls on him, and he in, he inherits her soul, and so he's split personality. Okay. So when yeah, he looks yeah. in the mirror, he doesn't see himself; he sees Lily Tomlin. Old movie, um, but I was just thinking about the the these two you know legendary comedians. He's so very goofy, slapstick, and um, and you know, they're just they're just very very old school people. Anyway. Yeah. The jerk that. was really good with Steve. I remember Martin. that, but I can't remember. Oh my god, he just plays this scumbag. Just every like mo like most of his films, he's a scumbag. Mm -hmm. Like, but he plays like extra scumbag in this film. <laughs> I'm so bad about remembering. People say, "Well, do you know this composer? Do you know that?" And mm. and like I know his name, but I mean, I, yeah, I'm I'm not real good with that. Yes, I'm a conductor. <laughs> yeah. We're what was the What was the last job you had before you decided to become a conductor? Like the last job that did not lead into like say like being a conductor or being in music. Oh right my now. God! I, I mean, I've I've worked all kinds of jobs even while I've um, uh, in my professional career as a conductor and an educator. Um, I mean, for example, right now I'm driving Uber, and I've done that since 2014. Mm. Um, when I was in school, I was a water safety instructor and lifeguard instructor, and standard, oh, yeah. uh, taught standard profane. That's why you stayed jacked all the time. For real, yeah. Because you were a lifeguard, had to go um, and look good. Well, I was just talking to somebody <laughs> today about, you know, when I came here to school in 2003, I was 154 pounds, and I couldn't gain weight. I was a swimmer. And, um, and you know, uh, that's why what made me decide to do steroids. I was like, I want to gain weight, and mm. I did. And, of course, that... Um, and I gained weight. I, you know, I got up to two, almost 250 pounds at a 5'9 frame. Right. And uh, right. not good for you, but... Um, but you cycle through. You cycle through the steroids. You don't let, them go, uh, let it go too far. I did. Right? Yeah. I did let it go too far. I, oh. And part of it was, you know, anything you do, you have to have a good headspace for it. Um, eating or spending money or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I was telling um, Kyle, uh, one of the new pre people at the bar, he and I were kind of sort of commiserating about this, and um, 
Um, I look back at pictures of myself when I was on steroids, and at the time I always thought I was fat. Mm. I was just never, and I look back now thinking, oh my God, you were just jacked. So was that body mis- body body dysphoria? dysmorphia? Yeah, dysmorphia, that's and right. yeah. Um, and that was fueling my desire to do that. I started out with a company called Oasis Longevity. It's no longer in business, mm-hmm. and. Um, I wonder why. It's a, well, it's a hormone. It's a andropause kind of thing, you know. Okay. And they, and they um, you know, people over thirty, they start looking at, you know, what's your hormone levels. Um, right. Some of the stuff that I was getting was coming from a compounding pharmacy in Orlando, um, but I was the reasons why I was doing it are a, a lot of the reasons why people do it. They're vanity driven. They're ego driven. They're superficially driven. Um, you know, they talk about you know health and this and that and the other it wasn't to be healthy it was because right. i was a gay man i was going to raves i wanted to take my shirt off and i was tired of being just a cut person i wanted right. to be big like the other boys that were in there dancing and and while i've always tried to be very balanced and people have perceived that of me um at the times i was not um th- there were a lot of things that it was a band-aid for some psychological issues that that i dealt with later on do you think that happens a lot in the gay community oh god like yeah that standard mm-hmm Hmm. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I used to live in New Orleans, and you know, every time you passed by Bourbon and Saint Anne, like there was just these gorgeous-looking dudes up on stage. I mean, I wouldn't fuck them, but you could definitely look aesthetic-wise. I was like, yeah, he's a good-looking guy. Absolutely. And I, I would venture to say that a lot of them have the same uh, issue that I did—that they're never good enough. My ex-lover, when we broke up uh, in 2011, he said, "You know, Paul, it's never enough for you." And it wasn't. It, whatever it was. It's because I was I was looking in the outside world, the external world, for something that I needed to do internally, mm-hmm. and you know whether it was sex, which I weaponized in many ways, and or working out. I worked out seven days a week. I was you know when I first started steroids in two thousand six, I was doing them responsibly through a, a clinic. When I realized I could get them on the black market for, I was paying twelve hundred dollars for a twelve week cycle, and I could pay you know one hundred twenty. But then you know. Rather than taking, being, having a, uh, after a, a post-cycle therapy, being off for at least half the time that I was on, I just stayed on them mm. because I was being driven by some something. I call it biting the bit of other people's expectations. Because when you're when you're not intrins- even though I was intrinsically motivated, I was being motivated by some external, you know, perception of what I should be or how I should look. Social or, pressure. Yeah, yeah. Like that, yeah. Well, I don't want to say it was social pressure because I wasn't. Um, <laughs> I didn't feel pressure from others. It was that, in order to, to to be validated, I needed the the oh he's jacked, he's beautiful, he's he's right. muscular, he's. It's like when I started the, the mo- Greek god look. Yeah, when I started yeah. the Magic City Coral Society, um, and it was just one of my most proud things I've ever done. Uh, there was a guy that said, "What is this bodybuilder thinking? He's going to be a conductor." You know, because right. I had finished my doctorate. They didn't know that, but they just saw this external thing, you know, that because I, I was huge. Yeah. So, you know, it does cut both ways. Did you ever conduct in a tank top? Just to look Well, um, <laughs> I would often, I, would, I used to wear V-necks, deep Vs a lot. It was mm. during that time when deep Vs were very much in. And um, I had a guy that joined the course, and he ended up being one of the course presidents. And he said, you know, you, you do that for attention. I said, well, everything we do is part of our package. Right. I'm going to be comfortable when I'm, when I'm in rehearsal. Now, I didn't conduct concerts. I was always in a, in a white tie tails and whatnot. But in rehearsal, you know, <clears throat> I, I was comfortable. I wore a deep V and jeans or shorts and flip flops, whatever. You know, if you're going to be working on something, you know, 
a uniform that's appropriate for the activity right. to be comfortable. But I mean, part of that was true. I mean, you, uh, the whole reason why I was using steroids was to for that attention to feel validated by others, by other people that you know. I'm kind of feeling that right now, actually. That needing uh, I'm validation. Working out a lot. Um, they're just doing the kung fu and eating. I mean. Like once you hit that point to where you start to see the cutness, mm-hmm. that's where it really kicks in, because like it's only like when you're in that small cutness, which I am, because I'm a very small guy. I was just born, so I was born premature. My dad, I'm mean, sorry, my mom smoked while she was pregnant with me. I was premature. Like I was fucked from the beginning. Honestly, my dad said he could fit me in one hand, like when I was first born. So I was fucked. But so but I start to get a little bit of cut. I mean, I got, like I do all body weight stuff, and. But it helps me stay not big for kung fu because kung mm-hmm. fu is not a big person's art. No, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like I'll see it in the mirror. But oh, like when you're in the beginning of the cutness, it only shows in certain light. You know, when the light is hitting well, in a certain I, direction. That's all cut. Know? I mean, everything yeah. is. I mean, that's that's photo, that's photography. Getting the right light so that the shadow yeah. accentuates the. But the I'm contour. not. See, I'm not used to this stuff. Mm-hmm. So like for me, I, it took me a while to get used to it. Like, like I was like, oh, it's only in a certain light, which means if I work harder, then it'll be in every light that I'll look like that. Mm. So I just started working harder and harder and harder. And then I was like, look, dog, it ain't going to happen. And I was like, You're at, you can feel your abs. Like, they're there. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just because a certain light's going to hit it, it's fucking shadows, dude. Yeah. Like, calm down. Yeah. You, you, all these things that motivate us, aside from just being healthy and, you know, they're poison, mm. um, because uh, it's an it's it's a moving target, and it's always, you know, there's nothing wrong with having the what I call the golden carrot from the horse that that carrot that keeps the horse moving forward, mm-hmm. but uh, but that and it's a I guess it's a fine line between that you know that carrot that's moving you forward and the thing that's never attainable that's that's other people's validation of your your physique or this or that or the other. This is the first time right. in my life I've not had, it's the first time in my life I've had a stomach. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. And I say that because it's true, but I'm also very okay with that. I don't want it to be that way forever. I want to, but March 13th last year when we dismissed the students from school, uh, the gyms closed in Texas and I stopped, you know, I was working out seven days a week and um, six, a 12 pack of beer and Nutella and bananas, and, right. you know, during yeah. the COVID diet. Uh-huh. Um, and I, in some ways, that's not necessarily a bad thing to to see yourself, to see your skin in a different way. Yeah, and just be okay with it still. So, yeah. I mean, just having a stomach doesn't doesn't necessarily imply unhealthy, as far as no, it does actually unhealthy. It just implies like, look, I'm just taking a break, man. Right, like, but it's just it's something that I have, I mean, had never experienced in my my physical life, and. Um, and when I noticed one day, I was like, oh, okay, do I like this? Not necessarily, but I, I only, only because I know that certain types of, of, of stomach fat are indicative of heart health and all these other mm. things. And I am still a vain gay man. I, you know, I can't, but I'm not, I, I don't know. Think about that. I need to unpack that some more. Not on this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not here. Okay. But um, <laughs> um, I can feel the self-awareness from here. That's one of my favorite things. Like when I ask people to come on the podcast, mm-hmm. the two things I look for is self-awareness and passion. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things I look for usually, and I'm a big fan of both of those because I think both of those will get you a long way. I was talking to somebody today, and they were talking about somebody who shut them down. Um, 
and then proceeded to lecture them about something. And he said, you know, he shut me down because he thought I was trying to lecture him, and then he went and did the exact same thing to me and was not aware of what he was doing. Anyway, the, the synchronicity of that, talking to someone about that. And I, you know, I, I, I like to talk, um, but I hope I listen as much as I talk. You know what I mean? Yeah, you do. That way you respond appropriately to what other people say. I also obviously. try to always tell people, you know, here's my opinion, but you're not accountable to it. Right. This is, you know, this has been my experience, and you're not accountable to my truth. It, you yeah. Know, if there's something in there that, that sounds real, reasonable, truthful, or, or useful, you know, Use if it, it doesn't, I'm not going to, you know, yeah. I'm going to like you, just still the same. Fuck it. So, yeah, I was like, if somebody doesn't like something about me, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to not talk to me. Like just just stay away from me if you, if you if that's the way you feel. That's a tough place too. You know? I, he was kind of talking about that, and I said, you know, that's that person's loss. Um, if we can't, I have you know, over and this happens to everybody. I burned some bridges, or or have given cause for bridges to be burned, and I'm really working hard now to to rebuild those. Uh, and people are justifiably the, those with whom I'm trying to do that with are justifiably skittish about that, right? Because mm -hmm. they were burned. Um, right. And by my choices, and I have to tell myself, you know, they can choose not to, and it's and it's reasonable for them. I wish they wouldn't choose that because they would find that we've all grown and become new people, or not, you know, we become better versions of ourselves. Right. Um, and almost it's almost like every, I mean, I would say on average, give somebody six months, and they're going to at least going to be a, a little bit of a different person. You know, give it two years, give it three years, and it's almost everything's anew. You know, I hope so. I am, but I don't know. This is the like so my um, max of of seventeen years. Um, I broke up with him because I was in that that bad headspace. It was in the middle of of um, all the stuff that we're talking about with steroids and whatnot. I broke up with him because he wasn't loving me the way I thought he should love me. He wasn't expressing it. Right. Uh, anyway, we've reconnected over the years, and and our relationship has been like an accordion. Sometimes it's been close, and sometimes it's gone far far, mm -hmm. far apart. When COVID started last year. We were, you know, closer. We were FaceTiming, and when I moved from Texas to here, um, it began to pull apart, and I continued to reach out and not hear from him. And it's, I've said some things that are emotionally vulnerable to him. He was not one to be, to open up to people very right. easily. And, um, and he was hurt by opening up to me for many years mm. and I thought that we were a place where I could do that and, and not And it the reason I say you know we hope that we grow and whatnot I I wonder my own experience is is of course I don't know is he still the same person is he shutting me out because this is too I'm scratching too far below the surface yeah and I don't know it's, yeah. I, I'll never I won't know and, and I think that sometimes when people use vulnerability against another person sometimes it scabs and it heals and sometimes it just scars you know, sometimes it's just a, it's just going to be a lot tougher to get through. Because I know that people have done it to me, and I've done it to them, and that's a hard one. That's and it may one. be that with him, I, I I was writing my journal. I wish that he would allow for the opportunity to see that that I'm not the same person that I was. Right. And while I always love him, uh, I'm I'm not trying to be his lover. I would enjoy the opportunity to try that again, but not that's not the impetus for my happiness for him is fulfilled in his happiness in life. And, um, you know, you don't spend 17 years with somebody without oh, wow. feeling Obviously, connected yeah. to them. That's a fucking good chunk of life. But, you know, uh, uh, growing, it's, 
in the end, the only people we can make that assessment about is ourselves. Whether yeah. or not, because you know, I'm sitting here trying to to dig into something that's in his mind that it's just completely I can't dig into. I, right. I will I'll not, not know because one, he's not he's not talking to me about it, and you know, and even then, you know, when whatever motivates the choices a person makes, they can't. You can't fully tell me all the variables. You can give me a, a rundown of why you made a decision, but to mm. to put that through the lens of your affective response to how you feel about things based on your history and your experience, and it's just not possible. Anyway, I'm yeah, it's really not. not. I mean, the way we communicate that's damn near impossible without large lengths of time for, to let that stuff bleed out. Yeah, you know, like it's got to slowly come out because when it comes out too soon and it explodes like that, that's not good. Mm. That's not, especially when there's a lot of pressure. Sometimes there's just got to be that real slow. That, yeah, triple, that you know? unreleasing of the, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, I could say from, from personal experience, blowing up is not the place to be. I am an angry person, like pretty much all the time. And when I've been in relationships where you know, I, I, I was probably fucking up too in my own way, but people like love to, it doesn't matter what relationship you're in, they, they want to figure out who you are, so they're going to poke you a little bit. You know, they're going to be like, what is he going to do if I do this? Is he going to freak out? You know? And they would do that to me, and I'm like, don't fuck with me, just ask me. You know, don't fuck with me, just ask me, and I'll tell you. I'm totally honest. And they would push that button, and I would be like, all right. You want to play fucking games? Let's play games. <laughs> and I would flip my shit. Like, not in like an abusive way or anything like that, but in a very logical, like very clearly logical, no emotion involved. And uh, I mean, I have thrown all my shit away. I, I've like flipped out so much. I was like throwing my shit away and just left. Rather than wow. logical, maybe calculated. Mm. Um, it's the same thing, it cal- but... Um... Sometimes our calculations aren't logical. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, up until probably about 32, I never did calculations. <laughs> calculations were never part of the plan. That's why I've been like a, a fucking, uh, I've been a fucking medic, I've been a pastry chef, I've been an editor, I've been a writer, I've been a construction worker, steel frame construction worker, a roofer, all this stuff. I would just leave, I would show up in a random place, and I would go, who is the first person that's gonna offer me a job that I will, that I, that's gonna seem interesting to me? Mm-hmm. And as soon as they did, I'd be like, let's do it. Yeah. And that was the end of it. Such a different place than our parents who, when my, my dad had a couple different things that he did over the course of his life. He worked in insurance when he first graduated college in Baltimore and then came back and he and my mother both got a brokerage license to work with my grandfather who was a real estate broker mm-hmm. and a home builder. And they did that for a number of years until the economy fell out during Carter, and he became he went back to insurance, and still did built homes on the side. They built the home that I grew up in, ended up a, a real estate appraiser. In the, but you know, our folks, I would say ours, a lot of the the people I graduated with, and probably you too, because you were in the same generation. Um, Call me old. <laughs> are you calling me old? <laughs> I mean, hello. I know, right? Um, I'm t- <laughs> uh-huh so so i'd like to think at you know 21 years on that the singular career of a cor- over the course of a lifetime is is not the same and i will just talking of uh, talking about uh, uh, 
external motivators. Um, I'm at a place in my life where I'm reevaluating my career because I, when I left the job that I had last year, not left it when it fin when the contract ended, as a conductor, a, 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 as an educator conductor, mm -hmm. um, at Midwestern State University, I had applied for the tenure track position. They, I sat for the interview. It was between the two of us. They offered it to me. I withdrew. Hmm. Um, I knew it wasn't a good place for me. I knew that in October when I went through, they, my dean and my department just said, please just, just, just go through the process. Right. It's not going to hurt you. So it was a safe decision, but it wasn't necessarily the best decision. It, the you. safe decision would have been, would have been to take the job. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Taking it would have been the safe decision. Leaving it, would, you knew that the safe wasn't, it wasn't going to make you happy. And I was thinking at the time there were job openings and I was applying for them. The COVID hit and they froze them. So, you know, so I'm sitting here now asking myself, is this, is this still what I want to do with my life? And, you know, I'm, every now and then had this voice that says, gosh, you spent all this money getting a PhD. You should be doing that. But I have to ask myself, is it what makes me happy? For 14 years, I did Magic Skater Coral Society, some of, the, some of the work I'm most proud of. However, I've done that. Sometimes I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I've done what everybody, what I was seeking to do with that experience. And you think you got bored with it? No, I think that, that I'm recalibrating. I think mm. that I'm not bored because I enjoy it, but I don't know that that's what is unlike our parents who, who were more inclined to plod through a career inclined, not necessarily, we are less inclined to do so and the generations below us are even more or less inclined to do it. Uh, they recalibrate more often. That's and where gig work came from. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and I find myself at that juncture, you know, is this what I want to do? Because obviously I'm learning violin. I'm st music is still very important to me in life and teaching in life. But what is more important to me about teaching is being present to people. You know, my major professor said, Paul, when you, no matter what you do, your students are taking you. They're not taking conducting. They're not taking methods. They're, they're taking you. So being present for people is what's most important for me. Mm. And, you know, I'm asking myself, am I best suited in, in the academy or outside of the academy? Because I don't like people being my boss. That was the other thing that I hated about being at MSU. They said, we want you to do what you did in Birmingham. We want you to build a program. Right. So I said, well, I need, I need to know where the sacred cows. We don't have any. That's some bullshit. I got there and it's mm -hmm. full of sacred cows. Right. And I got, and you know, there were people in the professoriate, there's this whole um, rank. You're either a full professor, an associate professor, an assistant professor. I was a visiting professor. So in some ways, that's a good place to be because I'm not, you know, my job isn't contingent upon the faculty liking me and promoting me. And of course, but I had a, a professor trying to pull rank on me and I was like, what the fuck? I'm just visiting here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but I don't like that. I don't like that. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to be... Oppressive pecking order. Right. I, I, yeah. I, give me tenure because I do a fucking good job. Right. Not because you like me or because I've you know said the right thing. Mm -hmm. You've got your sandbox. I'm going to applaud whatever sandcastle you build. If it's a drip sandcastle or if it's just you leave the sand there, that's fine. It's your box. So, you know, at this point in time, I'm asking myself, what do I want to do? Because you, in order to work in the academy, you have to work for tenure. Mm. 
I don't, just, I don't know that that's me. And so, you know, being present for people, is, it the, is the academy the best place for me? Or, you know, do, it's you ha- do you have to be part of a thing to conduct? Do you have to be part of an academy? No, I mean, because like... for 14 years I did it as Magic to the Crawl Society. I, I was guest conducting remote chamber orchestra. Uh, I did gigs all over the, uh, the country. I had my own three choirs that I directed. Um, I was adjudicating choral competitions and this and that the other. So, no, you don't. Um, you're not as connected in the way that my ego wanted to be connected. Right. So you'd have to hustle a little more. But yeah. my ego is not that, that part of my ego is not, a, not as important now, which gives me a little bit more, lee, not leeway. It, I, I'm a value, you know, I'm not driven to be acknowledged by my peers like my mm. peers are acknowledged to be, or, or driven to be acknowledged by themselves. Right. I, a friend of mine who's quite younger than me who, he just got tenure and he posted on Facebook and I was like, yay, you know, I'm really happy for them. But I'm like, God, does that really what I want to do? Mm-hmm. And my uh, good friend and I were talking who I lived with recently, who's, who's retiring from the College of Music here uh, about the tenure promotion process and when they're hiring people, you know, can they get tenure is the question. Not can they teach, not can they, they cr- you know, uh, help create or provide an opportunity for human beings to be the best version of themselves, but can they be tenured? Right. You know, and who the fuck cares about that? Again, back to safe. It's always, it's, it's, I think that life is that binary. Like every choice we take, it's like, even if you have multiple options, there's a spectrum there where it's One's safe or what you really want to do a lot of times. You know? My parents are very safe. My brother's very safe. I've, I've never been very risk averse. Um, risk, you know, obviously because I've had drug problems in my life. Right. Um, but they're, uh, you know, even mortality is not a risk. You know, I'm not going to go out and try to kill them, but I'm, you know, it's. It happens. Yeah. We're, we're going to expire. Yeah. It's, it's kind of inevitable. If I'm going to expire, I might as well expire being happy, doing something. I, yeah. yeah. It's like I'm HIV uh, undetectable. Yeah. When I first found out, I had a crisis moment where I thought, I, I don't need to live anymore. Mm. And I, my, my doctor, who's a gay man, called me up and said, Dumplin', come see me, because he also got the results. And he said, you know, look, here's the deal. Most people get sick touching a door handle. Somebody sneezes on the, you know, all these gross ways. You got sick doing something you enjoy. Huh? I like that. And I was yeah. like, you're damn straight. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I, of course, I tell my, my, my mother completely didn't understand that. She's, her experience with HIV when I came out, she volunteered for hospice. This is in the early 90s. People were still dying from right. it. Right. Yeah. Um, so her experience with it is completely different, talking about lens through which people see things. Um, so when I say that, she, you know, her risk aversion she and my dad are, are very much safe people they don't share that much you know what I've, I've gotten calls from them before about what I share on Facebook I can't believe you did that to us I'm, mom that has nothing to do with you right yeah this, this is me my dad has done the same thing my uh, dad has blocked me for like two weeks at a time and then come back and refriended me ah uh. I unfriended my mother so that she would not see <laughs> and I told her I said I'm doing this because it's better for me and you yeah you you simply you know if somebody asks you something you can just say I don't know I'm not friends on Facebook and if they ask why it's you, you can say because it's just better off that way yeah it really is yeah but back to so anyway you know um, I'm at a place in life where I'm I'm evaluating this stuff I when I left MCCS a number of years ago 
I was burnt out. And that's a whole nother conversation. But I was so burnt out that I, I, I did not have, and part of this was because I had, at that point in time, one of the responses to being burnt out was becoming abusive about a drug habit. And even though I got clear again, I'm not gonna say clear, but clean, but clear, I didn't have the energy to, to really create again. Mm. And I'm just now rediscovering that, that creative energy, hence picking up the violin. And I know that there is something I want to do. I, the friend of mine, Cadence, who, uh, when she, right before she turned 50, she left the university and started Fuzzy Goat in Thomasville, which is a yarn shop. Mm. She said, I knew that there was another act for me. I just didn't want to do it in academia. So that's where I am. I'm, you know, 48 years old. I'm wondering what my, what my, I'm not going to say my second act, my, what the next act is going to be. Right. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, it's kind of fun to be there. It's also kind of scary because there's a job opening right now that would be, that is written for me. In fact, I know the folks that read, it's in Alabama, it's the University of Alabama, I'll just say it. Mm -hmm. And um, I've not applied for it. I've not. Because I just don't want to jump through those hoops. Right. Yeah. It's, they're just not that important to me anymore. They were at one point mm -hmm. in my life, but they're not now. So, you know, it's, and I think that's telling me that there's, that's my answer. I used to hate, despise, well, I used to despise <laughs> the fact that, so I never completed 10th grade, got my GED. I spent a lot of time in libraries being homeless and researching internet stuff, and that's where I'm at right now. I got a comfortable job just because I worked my ass off. But, I used to really feel like anyone who had like completed high school up to, you know, the different college programs, you know, bachelor's, master's, associates, whatever, all that stuff, I would always feel inferior. And I used to hate that. And I would despise myself. And I was like, I got to go back and do this. I got to go back and do this, you know, always. And then I dated a few people that were in like fucking PhD programs and like all this other stuff. And I was like, I don't ever want to fucking do that, dude. Don't you probably ever... realize you're you're their peer, yet they're doing shit that you don't want to do. But they don't realize you're their peer because you don't have the thing. You're well, not working towards the thing, and it's just so condescending. Everything is so condescending. It's like, look, I realize I don't know anything about whatever the fuck you're diving specialized into, but I can bounce general stuff. You know, if you need some help with bouncing around ideas, I got you covered. You know. But then I would bring up something that was against kind of one of their thesis points or whatever, and then I would make a really good fucking point. And then, well, what do you know? Well, 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 you know, what do you know? You don't know anything. You don't have a, you don't even have a bachelor's. And I was like, that's dirty. That's the academic that's dirty. bias. Yeah, and that's, that's when I realized that I'm fine, I'm okay. You know, I don't need the academia thing. Shame on them and their, whoever is teaching them um, for, my major professor was very, very good at, at instilling in all of us um, that expertise is not limited to a pedigree, which is, you know, the degrees you have on a wall. Um, expertise doesn't know the bounce of a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Sure enough. Um, and my friend Jessica, we would have what we called nincompoops who were in with school with us who who were like the folks you're talking about who would, you know, the one thing that Dr. Madsen was really good at, he said, you know, you're, the PhD is the, is the highest degree we can confirm the human condition, mm -hmm. not the context. His thing, you know, as someone who holds this, my desire for you is 
is somebody that either opens up the world to other people or closes it off. And your experience with folks, they didn't have that. They were, if they shut you down, they're closing you off. They're not validating your experience as being equivalent and peered to theirs. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And if we're gonna, uh, if we do anything in conferring a PhD on somebody above the context of what you profess to, profess, or to be an expert of, mm -hmm. it's a human experience. And if we don't validate human beings, regardless of what, where they are and what they're doing as being equivalent to us, then we fail, period. Boom. Point. All drop the mic and move on. Yeah. And that's, I, I'm grateful for that with FSU. And I have to keep my, get, I'm being very selfish, getting back to that, you mm -hmm. know, it's not about whether I per, per, uh, persist in the academy. Um, it's whether or not I persist with that. Mm. Yes. Because yeah. I guess it would be a lot more difficult to maintain that attitude with the tenure. Because that's a locked in thing. So you start to get comfortable. And even I've seen even You're, the best of my friends that were this very passionate about it, they do it long enough and they're safe and they just start to, it starts to dive down and they're like, whatever, it's just grades, whatever I get paid, whatever. At least I have a safe job. I, I will. Uh, I've known a lot of people who get tenure or with whom I've worked, I even in my last job, who were just worthless because that's what they became complacent. I, they probably were not worthless when they got their jobs, right? But they grew into that place. Um, and I know a lot of people who don't, who who, like Dr. Madsen, he's in his late eighties, still just as productive and persistent as you know, and open to the being the naive child. Really? Oh, right. Neat. That's yeah. Neat. You know, um, that's what I always to hope to maintain. Yeah, that sense of curiosity mm -hmm. to where when someone says something I don't know anything about, I don't go yeah 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 I know about that and then just skip over it and then go to the next thing. I don't ever want to be that person and just try and act like oh yeah yeah I already know that of course or that's not important. Every time you say something up, my mind goes I'm not like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm not like oh yeah yeah yeah. I used to be that person. I, I yeah, I've been there. Um, I'm with you. Hey, can we take a pause? Let me go pee. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Pause. We're going pause so that that um, I can go TT. I was using the bathroom thinking about the academy. Most people wouldn't say this about me if you, but a friend of mine says you're a disruptor, because just like where I was at MSU, um, my department chair recognizes. She said you're not like the rest of us. I'm like no, because when somebody says, well, this is what we've done it. Well, why? Right. Why? Yeah. Why, yeah. Do you, why do you think fucking Socrates was poisoned? <laughs> I mean, that's the same thing. We just talking about it today, yeah. yeah that's, it's just asking why and why. Why? <laughs> and uh, um, that's the one thing that I, speaking about, you know, what I want to do. I, that's the one thing I do love about teaching is, is, is because that's how you have a critical mind. You ask why. Yeah. Socrates was the one that said, if, if the mind that doesn't turn on itself doesn't know itself. If you don't mm -hmm. turn on your own cherished beliefs, how do you know you believe them? Yep. Yep. And um, that's exactly how you get rid of biases. Yeah. As well. Well, and to, and to name them, to say these are you know to call them out. This is this is the this is my lived experience through which I see the world, and then to to let them sit there and to to be present for somebody else's lived experience and to and try to you know to hear it for what it is and to formulate both 
I should say all three that you have a lens, they have a lens, and then there's information in between that's coming to you. So there's like three different levels to that. And, and, and yeah, and so that's what I love about teaching is, is, you know, it's like when I was teaching conducting last year, one of my students said, um, you're Mr. miyagi and I said, and I said, yes, but remember this, you're going to go to another conducting teacher. You may have some that are like me and others are going to say, this is the way and the only way. Mm. So you got them to paint your fences is what you're saying. Well, I was telling clean them, your car. I'm giving you, you know, a, a, a set of tools right. and every teacher is going to give you a set of tools. Mm -hmm. The only thing I'm going to tell you is the teacher that says that this is the way, put that right here and, and just put that there, take all the tools and put them here and use them. But no, that there are a myriad other ways, always. Right. And, um, but this is the way we've always done it. I hate that. Yeah. I cannot stand it. Why? Yeah. And you know, here's the other thing. And I, t I would tell I would tell students, you, well, can I do this? It's a choice you can make. Mm -hmm. Does it work for you? Is it, is, are you in conducting? Are you achieving the sound you want from this, from this? Is it what you hear? It's it, I was, just like I was on the call today. I said, you know, intention and, and function are two different things. I intend for this, but does my intention through the function result in what I want? Right. Yeah. Is, um, it, is it a clear communication between intention and function? Well, you know, because you, it's like the, uh, the axiom, excuse me, um, the way to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. You can intend this, but if you, if you don't live it and behave it, it's not going to happen. Mm. Um, I want to tell you about um, one of my joys. That's why I brought my violin day. Okay. One of the things that that um, that Wait, I hold on. I, I just want to go into the quick backstory with the violin, though. Yeah, that's your grandfather's saying. violin. Great grandfather. Great grandfather's yeah. violin. So uh, uh, he bought it off of a German after World War One. And my granddaddy always said we had a Stradivarius. You got Nazi goods. I know. Well, it could be. <laughs> okay. um, and we were like, we don't have a Stradivarius. Right. Well, indeed, we have a violin that's labeled Stradivarius. And has the has is authentic to the point of being having the same linen that Stradivarius. It's we've discovered that it's a violin that was probably made by one of Stradivarius' students who used his name in order to gain some sort of oh, right. acceptance. So it's about a 250, 70 year old vi violin. And it's not 2.5 million dollars. It's maybe eighty thousand dollars, which is not something to scoff at. And you let me hold it the other day. What's <laughs> wrong with you? I know. Um, well, but it's it's just. It's stuff, right? I'm right. Not, you know, uh, um, but I've had it for years. I carried around it was in such disrepair, and a couple of years ago, I decided before I went to Texas, I was going to get it fixed mm -hmm. or refurbed. And I said, I want you to make sure that you don't do anything that's going to compromise the instrument or its original, you know. And um, I'm a singer. That's my, you know, that's my deal. Uh, I, when I was growing up, I played trumpet and learned to play tenor sax and some a couple of other instruments. But my primary instruments were voice and, and, and trumpet. And I've been carrying this around since, God, 1992. My granddad gave it to me. And he said his dad played it. And finally I decided to start playing it. And one of the things that has, besides the... What did you have to maintain on it? What, well, what the that? strings were, 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 the bridge was broken. Mm -hmm. um, the pegs would not hold uh, a tune. These are some sort of, these are... I paid a pretty penny. I paid two thousand dollars to get this thing fixed. Right. These are pegs that have that are like have gears in them, so you can fine tune them, and they hold. Right. Um, I had fine tuners put. I had. I it was suggested that I put these, and I did put fine tuners on all four strings. I don't know what else they did. 
to it, but they made it playable. Right. Um, so it was passed down through the family from your. It was just my granddaddy had it, and and there is a label in there. It says um, I can't remember, but it's seventeen twenty three is the date on it. Nice. Which is probably around the time. Uh, Shit, that violin is way older than that flag, or what that flag even stands for. It is. Like it's, 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 it's fucking older than America. Yeah, and, and the fact that it was bought off a German in World War One uh, reinforces its... Um, yeah. And it was old then. It's pre-Nazi. The, um, the strings to the fingerboard, they're very close, which is not... In, which demonstrates that it's not a modern instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the... So I'm doing this, and I'm, I am documenting it on Facebook Live. And I, you know, people chime in and whatnot. My voice, my teacher is a very accomplished violin teacher in, in North Carolina. Her name is Sarah Lang. And um, she said, well, what can, you know, I said, what can I pay you? And she said, nothing. I'm just excited. Yeah, she's played under me because I've conducted, and she, you know. Um, oh, that's cool. You guys trade it off. Yeah, well, she's, I'm that's knitting cool. or something. And, and she said, why don't you just knit me something, you know. So, oh, okay, yeah. But, um, the, so what I'm doing with this, besides learning to play it, I'm exploring the virtues of being a beginner again. Mm. Yeah. You know, as a... a Happy you, learning that there's a... that you have an ignorance of something can be a blessing. It is wonderful. It can be a, a very much a blessing. And I, um, I'm learning this in the way that I, that I teach my students, which is reinforcing of what we know to be good teaching, good pedagogy. Um, and I have to remind myself when I become, when, I, when I'm really in the learning mode, um, I have to remind myself of what I know about good practicing. Because my own exuberance with this, you know, sometimes I just want to plow through and get to the next thing and before I really master some fundamental. Or grasp. Yes. At so minimum. I, that was yeah. my question this week to my teacher. And she was actually on, on uh, she chimed in when I was on Facebook Live. And she said, go ahead and, and move to the next thing. She said, because you're going to come back to this. The next time you play Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star, you're going to play it with a different technical facility. Mm. Um, and I was like, totally makes sense, is what I tell my students all the time. Um, there you go. I have the original bow that I got right here, but I'm, I haven't played with it yet because it's a little bigger. Um, but it's, I'm so, I'm going to just play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star for y'all on this little thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 go for yeah. it. Go for it. This is, so I'm six weeks into this, and um, I've, ta- I've studied string technique and bowing techniques and all that kind of stuff. I can't see. Um, other thing is, when you prepare, make sure you're fully prepared, like putting on your glasses because you're 48 years old and you don't have depth perception. Right, right. <laughs> Um, and those of you that are listening to this, I'm sorry for this 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 rabbit hole into. Oh, they'll get over it. Into into me playing. <laughs> Isn't that right, listener? I'm there a little drunk right now. But anyway, that's what I'm doing right now. And so, Fuck yeah. Um, it's all about the the hidden curriculum, which is not so hidden because I talk to people on Facebook live about this. You know, I ask them. You know. First of all, what are you perceiving? What are you? What, what do you hear me doing? And what have you picked up lately, where you're that you are a beginner? And what are your observations and the, about the challenges you're facing and and the successes? Just all kinds of questions around. So you're forming like a like a like a mini support group for learning almost. Well, yes, I guess you could say that. Yeah. Um, but because everyone I'm, feels like a 
everyone feels like a fucking child, like they're not good enough and they're not, imposter syndrome, no matter where you get, you're always gonna feel like, fuck, there's people better than me, they know this better than me, I'm such an amateur. Well, that's uh, one of the reasons I think that it's important to always remember what it's like to be a beginner. Boom. My thing is, like, if you can't, and this is kind of my milestone, for myself at least, and maybe sometimes for other people, is that if you can't play with a child who's right around, like, say, six or seven years old and is rambunctious and has an imagination, if you can't play with that child, and I'm not talking about just watch and talk to, I'm talking about play with. Right. So it's 39 and I was still able to do it. You know what I mean? Like, you've got to be able to play with a child, but when it comes where to a moment are. where you need to be an adult, you be an adult, you know? And if you can still do that, your imagination is still in pristine condition. It's in pretty, it has no dents. I, I, the only thing that I'll say is that I enjoy doing that as long as I can give the child back. <laughs> 100%. All right, right there with you. I right love there. children and I love being in that space with them where, you know, we can pretend and, you know, what is this? This is a tomato and what, it's a piece of wood. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is a tomato. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How good does it taste? Oh, it's good, yeah, yeah. you know. But then, you know, mom, here you go. You know what my favorite is? I'm done. The, uh, yeah, but I have the super killer technique that takes down everything. Oh yeah, well I have a force field against the super technique that takes down everything. And you I, have a, <laughs> I have a something that beats the force field. That, uh -huh. <laughs> You're always one-upping with the kid, yeah. That's my favorite thing that the toddlers do. We've got a, um, I'm, my mom's side of the family were very close. And my brother and I are eight months apart, and then 14 years later, my baby cousin was born. My uh, youngest aunt is 13 years older than me, and she's 13 years younger than my mother. There's this, and then the youngest in the family is 14 years younger than me. Hmm. So we, it, it's a really interesting dynamic. Um, her son Mills is wild. He's the one that, I don't know if I showed you, I have to find the video. Um, he was sitting at the his high chair one day, some food fell on the floor. He went, oh, fuck. <laughs> Knows how to accentuate it and everything. Yeah, yeah, and he'll go, shit. And his dad recorded this. Of course, my two aunts and my mother are like, no. And I'm, I, you know, we taught my baby cousin, my brother and I, how to, my mother used to record us on a cassette tape reading a story or this and the other and she left one day because the doorbell rang and I said this we were young I said Mike let's cuss and my brother he had delayed language so I went, he, he says and I said yeah let's say dang it do do damn it so that was our <laughs> right. cuss word growing up right. so we taught Lauren to say dang it do do damn it and I said Lauren we're going to teach meals she said oh no he's already learned it and um, so th th this video of him he's in the bathtub and, and he's washed and he goes shit and does that say meals what'd you just say and you hear him chuckle in the background. He and you just see this toddler it's in the bathtub with bubbles everywhere. Shit. And anyway, I there's I don't know. I'm telling you that. Other than it's just I don't no. Know. It's funny. It's a funny kid story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah they kids. they're they're the best at showing you how ridiculous adult things are because they see you do, they see people do something around them. It can be just one person in a store sometime. Mm -hmm. And they'll repeat that activity. They're like, well, this person did it and they got a laugh from like two people. I'll do it. And they do it at home. You're like, and you're like, funny. ooh, that didn't go over as well as you think. Yeah. Like my brother had to snatch up my niece one time because she said the N word because she had heard it from my uncle. <laughs> and 
she goes, hey, daddy. Well, they were in a convenience store. She goes, hey, daddy, there's an N-word. And he snatched her ass up and brought her outside and was like, you listen to me. Don't ever say that. But to her, because she heard someone else say it on such a casual manner, she just repeated it. She didn't. She wasn't looking at him, being like, "Hey, he's and a it bad was, person." It had no malice behind it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. luckily, my brother caught it early. My mm-hmm. brother was like, "No, no, 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 no. This ain't gonna happen." Um, a friend of mine told his sister that they had two different daddies, and her daddy was a black man. And when they, this was when they were young, and they were at the Piggly Wiggly shop, and there was a black man in front of her in the line. She said, Mama, is that her man, my Oof. daddy? Oof. Oof. So, Mama didn't know that the brother had told her, which it wasn't true. Right. But <laughs> it's a story that lives in infamy. Yeah. I mean, it's awful. But I mean, a child says that, like you said, yep. without any malice. It's just, you know, they hear a word that's associated with something and they say it and there's no, they don't, they don't know meanness. I mean, yeah. Some kids do, but... They're mimicking. Yeah. All they do is mimic. They see like, okay, this person got a popular response from this. Or, 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 the, or this word means a dark colored person. They yeah. don't know that exactly. it's offensive. I think teaching, teaching how we use linguistics in general in a more in-depth manner could fucking teach people better critical thinking through being able to just, just simply being able to communicate better. You know, I, I, I tell people, you know, I don't care if somebody calls me a fag or something either because we, we, we either empower the words or we unempower them. Right. But being sensitive to how other people feel about words that we don't care about or, you know, is important. And it's so, you know, that's where self-awareness, you were just talking about that earlier, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's also contextually nested, but our language is so interesting. And that's, People don't communicate well these days. Yeah. They don't want to take the time to, what do you mean? You know, they immediately put their offensive guard up. They're offended. Right. And they block it off rather than, it kind of gets back to me and my ex, you know, what is it that has offended you? Give me the opportunity to respond. Right. Let me know. I'm, I'm willing to put in the effort to hear what it is that that I have done that you take offense to. Because that I have done something doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just means that I've, my behavior has functioned in a way that's, that has put you off. And while mm. this is my behavior, my behavior is not me. The me that wants to hear you is the me that says, I'm open to evaluating this behavior. So that We run into the next problem, though, which is kind of devil's advocate on this, uh, just so because it's not what I believe, but just kind of devil's advocate, is that when people are hurt by specific things or triggered by specific things if you go to honestly come at them and just be like hey i'm just saying a thing and just curious what you think you know like let's just bounce an idea Mm -hmm. you know go to a person that idea is either maybe sacred to them or that idea is a ptsd trigger or whatever it may be it's it's something that they can't really grasp opening up in a vulnerable way at that moment and in a lot of times i think that people aren't able to express that specifically they're, they're to people to be able to stop and go like listen this idea i really don't want to talk about it can we just skip over this and go to the next thing would that be possible 
You know, yeah. I mean, that's very rare that you hear something like that. It's, no, it's automatically not. kind of jumping in defensively. I'm, I'm thinking of my own response to that, which is, I, I'm, I want to drill down to things, and oftentimes, for me, that works. Although I, I, I know that for me also, sometimes I need distance from something. Some people haven't delved as deep and into self awareness. And, and when you're ready to deal, drill down to something, they may not be ready. Exactly. And yeah. that's a hard place to be. Um, Especially when you see that they kind of need it, in a way. They need to drill down? Or well, it seems well that, that, that it would, that it seems, let me correct, it, correct my language, it seems that it would help them if they face this. Or it seems thing. like it would help the dynamic, because, yeah, because we're talking about what, what the, between two people. And, you know, I'm thinking of my exes, and, you know, it would help us, but he's not there. That's not where, right. he's not at a place where he wants to, he's never, he hasn't been, he's not, of course I don't know that, but I mean. Some people are more pain averse, you know what I mean? Like as far as emotional or whatever it is. Listen, that's, that was, I'm still conflict avoidance. It's part of my nature, but not like I was. Well, you have to be a fan of pain if you don't logically strategize every action. Like if you see that there's going to be like, like me personally, like I bring myself into this is that I just pack a bag and I go. When I leave everything in here, I've done that fucking over double dozen times. I've done that. I know there's going to be pain involved. I know it. You know, starting over, and I know all that. And I'm actually a fan of it. I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of pain in new growth. You got to have the forest fire, and then you got to have the new growth. Right. That's just kind of the way I live my life. So, But regardless of what you're doing with it, there's... If you're not risk averse, you're okay with pain. You know what I mean? Like just just generally in life. Well, it's a because you know that it's it, it's that Buddhist mantra that pain is inevitable, suffering is a choice. You know that you're not choosing mm. to suffer. You're it's a means to an end. Right. It's it's a momentary thing that is going to. It's just it's it's uh, what's the word? It's um not transitory. It's temporary. Yeah, I mean, those both kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah we go with those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, it's um, um, you're not choosing to exist in a state of pain. You're you're saying that the there is pain, but it doesn't have to define or, me. Or, or discomfort. It's or or for lack. It's it it is the lack of homeostasis. It is that mm-hmm. that disruption of balance to achieve balance again right or to you know maybe to tell yourself you're still alive and the worst the worst for trying to achieve a a balance is a breakup like Mm. because this other person balanced your life they i mean like you you reweighted everything the way they would weigh a certain amount and it balanced everything and then when that ends and there's no more of that then you have to rebalance everything i will say that um i used to be like that but i'm very much different now that um, a person will any people that come into my life friends any kind of relationship add richness to the living experience Mm. Um, they add perspective that's not my own Um, and if it's people that I choose to spend increasingly more time with it's for me, this is my ba- my bias, and my bias shouldn't be anybody else's but mine. Right. 
They don't ba my balancing me is my responsibility. And while the loss of any person can be discombobulating, um, it's like I told somebody recently. I said, no matter what happens, how's your poop? Do you poop the same? Right. Do you pee the same? You know, all these things that are that are basic life functions. Do they really change? And they might have a, you know, you might be a little constipated for a while. You might have diarrhea because you're... It depends. If you date a Pakistani girl, your poop is going to be a bit if more you diarrhea. You're, if you date a Pakistani girl, your, <laughs> your poop is going to be a little bit more priori, uh, like diarrhea because it's spicy. Right. It's spicy. <laughs> so that changes. But that's, yeah, that's, but it's what's brought in. But I, I mean, know that our, from experience. Our, our functions are still is the same. So, um, but I, I, when I was dating... Uh, I was as a serial monogamous uh, prior to the last person I dated it was you know who's going to complete me make me more mm -hmm. you know and and I back to the guy that was with her 17 years that is one of the pieces of gold that I got from our breakup um, yeah that's a rough one 17 years that's yeah. there's nothing compared to that it's unless you're talking like 40 years but you know, <laughs> you know. After that, I dated somebody for three years and then one for two. And then I was like, I'm, I'm just going to be single for a while. And then, you know, every now and then I'll get on, I get horny and get on some place like Grindr or, or Scruff and think, oh, you know, and then it's like, oh, it's just, God, just too I, much, I too much really effort. wish that Tinder was still like Grindr. It used to be. I don't, oh yeah, Tinder's the gate. Yeah, yeah, it used to be like Grindr. It was like, it was, you would message somebody three or four times. They were over at your house or you were over at their house, you know, like. Maybe maybe go grab something to eat and then fuck. Maybe get a couple of drinks. Whatever. That's what it used to be. Now it's it's. Um, granted, I wouldn't even use it now. I'm just saying. Well, I'm just saying for the from the perspective of the younger people, like they you kind of need that. Like, let's just say you're in college, right? You're working on a fucking thesis paper or whatever. You've been fucking racking your brain and you got all this other homework and everything. You need a good orgasm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you just want to go out. You need that out. release. That yeah. That. You want to fuck. You don't want to. You don't even want to remember their name. You don't want anything. All you yeah. want is like a fucking a brief connection and a fucking orgasm. That's it. And that's what Tinder was good for for younger people. I, I think that's fantastic for people sometimes. As long as you know, I mean, just like anything, just like heroin or drinking or whatever, you can get addicted to it, one hundred percent. Oh, but whose problem is that? That's not my problem. That's their problem. That's not your problem. That's their problem. What are they doing with it? You know? Right. Yeah. I really wish it was like that for younger people because it's way more uh, adventurous. I've noticed online that um, I was always like, here, now, let's go. Right. And I, the whole issue of ghosting to me online is just... I don't get that. It's hideous. I'm like, if we're either going to do it, we're going to do it. If not, we're not. And right. I'm okay if we're not going to do it. Just to say, I'm not there yet. I might have, you know, I'm considering, you know, I've got, eh. Yeah, I'm but, not so comfortable with it, whatever it is. But but just, you know, and, and I don't even think it's, you know, some people, oh, it's manners. It's just the way young folks, what kills me about what is interesting, though, about being online these days, when I was their age, mm -hmm. 20s, 30s, I never thought about dating somebody and they're older than me, like a lot older than me. These 20 year olds, they want a daddy. Right. And yeah, they yeah, look yeah. at me and they're going like that. I'm like, okay, first of all, I'm not taking you to raise. I'm taking you to fuck. Holy period. shit. We just hit an equilibrium on hetero and homosexual here because that's what women are fucking going I'm like, now too. I'm not taking you to raise. Are we going to fuck? <laughs> okay. That's great. I, we can fuck on a regular basis. We can be friends with benefits. Friends being the operative world. Word, um, 
and you know, I don't mind the the I guess adulation, whatever you know, right. being, you know being called a dad or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, a dad, you know. Well, just hey, tell them to find a Catholic priest. It'll be they can just fucking do that. I'm just, I'm, but I'm like, but when I was their age, I couldn't. I mean, I had friends that were seven years older than me that I couldn't imagine having sex with right. at all. Yeah, it was just like, ugh. Yeah, and you know, I'll get hit up, eighteen to twenty year old, that I could be their legitimate dad. And, I, and I'm thinking, can I? Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, I can. And it depends, but yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, God, this one time in Birmingham, though, uh, this <coughs> kid that you know, said he was 18 or whatever, 21, he showed up and just as pimple-faced. And I said, all right, are you really 21? Right. Uh-huh. I said, can I see your driver's license? I'm going to be 18 in seven months. Oh man! Uh, you're not going to be here in seven minutes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're exactly. Oh, but I'm already here. I'm like, no, no, there Get are the no. Out. We're cutting this right here. Yeah, there. I'll do a lot of things, but I'm not going to do anything that's jail bait. Mm-hmm. If you're under 18 and in high school, by that fact of the matter, because if you're in high school and still 18, somebody can get upset and, and it calls a big old stink. We're not doing this. And he begged, 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 begged. And I was like, <laughs> you. I walked him out of the ho- out of the house, out of the church. We rode down the elevator. And, oh my gosh, now he did get, a couple years later, turned of age. <laughs> He's now a drag queen in Birmingham. Um, I, I cannot below 30 anymore. Like, barely below 30 I can do. But even a one-night stand where there's, like, a few drinks involved, maybe some dinner, maybe, you know, at the minimum, whatever. I can't even have that conversation. I, I don't know if conversation kills me. I don't know how it's it, what's and it probably isn't because people are people regardless of whether they're gay or straight. Mm-hmm. We all have the same payoffs and motivators and this and the other. Yeah. Um, Orgasms. But gay boys, I don't know. Um, they're just different now. I don't know if I was naive then. I mean, I was very. Uh, when did you, when did you come out? I kind of came out. Well, I was dating a college guy my senior year. Okay. Okay. I wasn't open about it, but it wasn't... I guess I was still close. I didn't really come out until my sophomore year of, of college. Okay. Now, and right. my parents pulled me out of the closet because they kept asking. And, and But everybody... Now, everybody at school, at college, knew that I was gay. I just came in gay. There was no, you know... But to my family and high school friends, my two best friends in high school... When I came out, they said, Paul, we always knew you were gay, but if you said you were straight, that's the party line that we're going to tow. If somebody, you know, they, I saw them, you know, bow up to people that said, he's a sissy, not he's straight. And, you know, they got, you know, you know, kick ass for him. So, you know, they've always been good friends. But, um, so how are they, how are they different now from that time? My friends? No, the gay boys, what you were saying. Um, they are, everything's, they're out. Um, they like older guys. I don't. I didn't like older guys. How are they different? Um, uh, they seem to me to be more sophisticated than I felt I was. I thought I was pretty sophisticated at that time, but you know, maybe it's because they seem. Maybe they seem sophisticated because they like they like me. Right. Right. Yeah. Because I'm older, mm-hmm. um, and that was not my lived experience. Maybe that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah I can see that. That's that's a good example of the subjective versus the subjective yeah. coming together in the middle. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, I've noticed that there's actually among the youth and yeah, among the youth is there's a bit more of a conservative kind of prudish to sex. feel going on. Yeah, to sex. Yes. It's like they'll come over to your house and they'll get nasty. It's fucking nasty. But expect them to talk about it in person in any way, in any in any way. Right. If it's even mentioned that you had sex, you know what I mean? It's like a weird, I'm sure it's a little more loose in the gay community, but. I, you know, I, well, I, I just, I go through periods of being very promiscuous and not, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, they're, we're just all different. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I talk very openly about it, I, you know, of course, I have no shame. You know, I'm just like, whatever the fuck. Um, chocolate, vanilla, Rocky Road. Sugar, right. You know, it's all sex. It's all ice cream. Um, Dude. So, yeah. yeah. That's a good place to end. Right it fucking is. there. We're going to end on sherbet. Fuck yeah. And we're going to end on <laughs> Fucking ice cream. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah. No, it was a pleasure. Yeah. It was a pleasure. This one will work. Yeah. This one definitely works. Excuse work. me as I burp. Indeed. Uh, I'm gonna go talk to Paul D's on the mic. Schmuckter Paul D's. Schmuckter. Always remember to go fuck yourself.